It's good to be with you all. It's a privilege to be able to bring God's Word to you and to reflect together. Uh, most of the guys know me um, from pickleball, and the way that we normally get warmed up in pickleball is we usually start talking trash and telling people to get their minds right and uh, doing weird old man stretches. Um, thought all of that would be inappropriate this morning, so we won't start that way. Um, but it's good to be with you, and it's been good, it's been good just to get to know many of you uh, through those contexts and to get to know you, and we're really grateful for your support uh, financially but prayerfully um, and just thankful for the community that GPC has been for us. Um, we're going to be in Micah, the book of Micah, a minor prophet, chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 8 this morning. And um, as Paul asked me to preach, I thought about a New Year's uh, kind of context, one that we could reflect on together as we approach a new year together. And I thought Micah 6, 6 to 8, which I'm, I think many of you will probably be familiar with, was an appropriate one to come to. I've enjoyed uh, digging back into it this week, um, enjoyed our time. Micah uh, is a minor prophet. He's a prophet that's ministering at the same time as Isaiah, 8th century B.C. to the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel and Judah. And he has some hard things to say, but some good things to say, but some true things to say to the people of Israel in this text. So let's look at Micah. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, we'll read that together this morning. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of of my soul. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Would you pray with me? Father, I do pray this morning that you would bless uh, the reading, the reflecting, the preaching of your word as we reflect on this text together, as we reflect and prepare for a new year. And as we look to your word to guide us in the kind of people we are to be and in what you ask of us and in what you command of us, I pray this would be fruitful for your people at GPC in Greenwood, South Carolina this morning. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, Micah is ministering um, in a, uh, a very wealthy context. Israel at this time, Judah at this time, is very wealthy. They're very successful. This is a high point in many ways. And yet he's a prophet that gets the job to come to the people of Judah and to say, um, this, this wealth, all of this is coming to an end because of your sins, because of your oppression, because of the things that you've been doing by not obeying God's law and God's command. And so Micah gets the task to come and to tell the people of Judah that you have sinned. And that God is going to bring destruction through the nation of Assyria to them and to their country. And really the whole book is a lawsuit. It's Micah bringing a lawsuit against God's people to say, you have oppressed each other. By your wealth, you've gotten richer by oppressing the people around you. You have been unrighteous. You have been sinful. You have been unjust in everything that you have done. And so... 
you are going to be punished for your sin. The text that we come to here in Micah 6 is Micah giving a response for the people of the people saying, well, what do we do then? If we've been so sinful, if we've transgressed against God, if we've been so terrible, if, we've, if we really do have sin and there really is destruction, there really is consequences for our sin, what do we do about it? And that's the passage that we just read is, it's almost a, a responsive reading, a call, of worship, call to worship of what do I do? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? One commentator said this is really the question of every human as we come up against God, as we encounter God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? It's a question we all have to ask at times. With what do I do if, if, if I'm unrighteous, if I'm a sinner with real sin? What do I do before a righteous and a holy God? How do, I, how do I atone for myself? How do I make up for these things? And then Micah, speaking for the people, starts to give some suggestions of things that he could bring. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Maybe that would do it. With calves a year old. Maybe a calf a year old would do it. And a calf a year old is according to the law. It's a good sacrifice to bring. It's a meaningful sacrifice. It's an important sacrifice because calves were uh, very valued in the sacrificial system. So he starts well. Well, will a calf a year old, will that do it? But the people go on. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? That's a lot of rams. Thousands of rams. Rams were in the sacrificial system. I don't think many of the Israelites had thousands. And so you see that the people start to get a little bit more pejorative in what they're saying, a little more exaggerated. There's almost a, a sense in the text of the people you know, accusing back to God. Will thousands of rams be enough? How about 10,000 rivers of oils? 10,000 of rivers of oil. Kids, your parents may have olive oil at home in a jar. Ours is in a really pretty glass jar so that we don't have the ugly bottle displayed on our counter. You know what I'm talking about? That would maybe be, you know, provide a mild stream of oil, right? A little basin of oil to go through. Thousands of rivers of oil? That's a lot of oil. I don't think anybody had that much oil. Will that do it though? Will, will thousands of rivers of oil do it to appease God for the sin? He goes on. The people go on. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. It was very clear in the Old Testament law from God that he did not want human sacrifice. If anything, they could go back, the people of Israel could go back to the story of Abraham and Isaac and see that God even then doesn't require it, doesn't want it, doesn't ask for it. And so the people's response here is, would that be enough? Would the firstborn of my soul, of my body, be enough for my sin? And then Micah responds with the voice of the Lord in verse 8. He has already told you, O oh man, what is good. And that what the, does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
This is what Micah is saying. The people in Israel were worshiping rightfully in many ways, outwardly. They had outward right worship. They were showing up to church. They were offering their sacrifices. They're a little bit different than their northern brothers and sisters who were profaning the sacrificial system and not operating according to God's law. And so everything on the outside looked good, you could say in some ways, on Sunday mornings. And yet the people, the land, was a land of oppression. If you want to, you can turn over uh, to chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, and see some of this oppression that Micah is calling out to the people. Micah accuses them, in Micah chapter 2, verses 8, he accuses the people of this. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. That phrase right there is saying this. The people would love to hear, hey, just need to tweak your little overindulgences. You just drink a little too much, you know? You just indulge a little too much. Make little tweaks in your life and everything will be okay. That's what they would love to hear. But rather, what, what is being said to them is, away. You have oppressed my people. You've driven out women from their houses and children. You're an unrighteous, oppressive people. And what Micah is saying in Micah 6, 8, is you cannot have right worship and not righteous living. There's no such thing for the people of God of saying, I am in right relationship with God but I do not live righteously in my life. And he defines that righteousness as, as doing justice and loving love and walking humbly with God. I think in some sense for us it would sound like this if someone said to you, um, hey, tell me about your faith. Tell me about your Christian faith. And someone said back, well, uh, I go to church on Sundays. You know, most of the time, right? I don't go every Sunday. Uh, but I go most of the time, if I'm at the beach, you know, take a pass. Everybody does that, right? I went on Christmas, but not New Year's. Nobody's going to do both, right? That's crazy, right? That's crazy. Who would do that? You know, I go to Bible studies. I do my quiet times regularly, almost every day. You know, I go to men's prayer and women's prayer at 6.30 in the morning. You know, I do that stuff. And it'd be as if God said back to you, that's not what I asked. I asked, tell me about your faith. And you, can, you could sense, even in my own heart, in my own soul, of saying, whoa, 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 I just told you. What else do you want? What more do you want from me? I told you I go to church, and I read my Bible, and I go to Bible study. Do I have to go every Sunday? I have to go on Christmas and New Year's and Christmas Eve? Are you kidding me? Is that what you want? Is that what I have to do? And the response of Micah is no. You need to do justice, and you need to love kindness, and you need to walk humbly with your God. Well, who's told them that? Where have they gotten this from? If you want to turn your Bibles over to Deuteronomy 10, you'll see a little bit, and we're, we're getting somewhere here in the Old Testament of looking at the bigger Old Testament picture 
to ground us in, in God's history. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. This is Moses speaking to God's people about the law. The last things he will say to his people, he's re-giving the law to the people of Israel before he will die and before they will enter into the promised land. He says this, Now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Does that sound familiar? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statues of the Lord, which I'm commanding today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers. He chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. And now he'll talk about justice. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great things and these terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. This is what Moses is saying to the people of Israel. You know the story. God chose Abraham. And there were 70 people at the time of Jacob and Joseph. And they went into Egypt, 70 people. But God delivered you out of Egypt. He saved you from all of that. He delivered you from slavery. He delivered you from oppression. You were sojourners. You were slaves. But he delivered you. And he brought you into this land. And he has loved you. He has entered into relationship with you. And you saw at Sinai the terrifying things, but the wonderful things. You have seen how God has defeated, in the next chapter he'll say, you've seen how God has defeated the kings to protect you as you're wandering in the desert. You know this God. You know him and his love for your fathers and his love for you. You know who he is. But he has also called and required of you that you obey him, that you love him with everything you've got, that you walk in his commandments, not in your own ways that you serve him, that you keep all of his commandments that are actually for your good. So he says, you know this God and his love. His hesed is the word. It's the same word in Micah 6.8 of love. His, his love, his eternal love, his covenantal love, his love that delivered you out of Egypt and his love that stays with you no matter what. His love that protects you from kings. His love that protects you from all kinds of things. His love that provides manna. His love that has done so many things for you. You know that love. But he also calls you to obey him. So as you enter the land, be righteous. Serve him with everything that you have. And Micah and Moses are saying, you cannot have this. You cannot know this love this great love of God, and not be this kind of person. You cannot know this love of God, of this God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the mighty, the terrifying, the wonderful, the amazing, 
and not obey his commands. Now you might be sitting there saying, this sounds awfully Old Testament, Mr. RUF guy. Don't come in here with this Old Testament stuff. We're a New Testament people, right? You don't need to be anchored in all this you got to do and you got to want and you got to. We just love Jesus, right? And go to church. Don't knock us. You want to turn your Bibles to the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Jesus has something to say about all this, too. Mark, chapter 12, there's a fascinating interaction between Jesus and a scribe. The Pharisees, the, the Sadducees had come and tried to trick Jesus. We'll be in Mark, chapter 12, verse 28. The Sadducees have come and tried to trick Jesus into saying some things. But they didn't win. And so now the scribes are trying to get them. And this scribe will ask Jesus some questions and they'll have a little interaction. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus this. Which commandment is the most important of all? Good question. Jesus answered. The most important is, hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, you are right, teacher. Imagine saying that to Jesus. Anyway, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, with all your strength, and to love one neighbor as yourself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Sound like Micah? And Jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What this scribe was picking up on was Micah 6.8. What is enough? What is enough in the midst of our sin? And what is enough in the midst of our unrighteousness? Well, the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, they don't really work. What God really requires is a people that understand his love, that know and have experienced his love, and that therefore live lives of justice, live lives of of the love of God in their lives, and to walk humbly with him. And so he says all of this, this command, is more even than the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And as I looked at this text this week, it's almost like Micah 6, 6 to 8 is the discussion piece. Right after this, Jesus will talk about the Christ. I think it's fascinating that he says you're not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus will start to talk about who the Christ is. And then he'll do this in verse 38. He'll start to say a couple things. He says, in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the best places at the feasts of honor and who devour widows' houses, sound like Micah, and for a presence and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive greater condemnation. I'm sure none of you during the holidays had anyone in the families that wanted the seat of honor. Um, at our house, no one wants to be at the children's table, right? Even the oldest kid doesn't want to be at the children's table. And then at the children's table, you know, there's 
various kinds of chairs that are around, you know, some good, some with broken legs, you know what I mean? And, um, right, everyone wanted to be in the, in the highest sitting seat, right, that looked down on the children's table, right? They wanted to be in the seat of honor at the children's table, right? And then from the children's table, you know, everybody really does want the seat back up at the adult table. That conversation wasn't great. They really worked lucked out. But anyway, that's where they want to be, right? They want to be at that table. We know what this looks like. And what Jesus is saying, beware of those people. But certainly that would never be in the church, you know? Never in the church would we act like that. We wouldn't honor people that have more money or give really long prayers. Just, you know, my, my wife's biggest complaint about me is long prayers. So maybe I need to repent when I go home. We would never do that. We would never treat people differently based off, you know, looks, status in society, status in the church. The church isn't like that, right? I mean, it's not like the Old Testament or the New Testament church or the, Jesus, the church that Jesus showed up to was like that. So Jesus had to say these things. So if the scribes don't get it, if the Pharisees don't get it, and they were the people who were supposed to get it, then who gets it? Who gets that the love of God, the people who know the love of God, do these things, not these things? Jesus starts to talk about a widow. Verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. He called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, the poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has just put in everything she had and all that she had to live on. And we don't necessarily have the same category of widows that were around at this time. Widows didn't have a legal status, and so it's a little bit of a different category. But as I thought about this this week, we just passed the plates of offering. And, um, you know, I'm not a math major, but... Um, if you make like $60,000 a year and that's about $5,000 a month and you tithe about 10% on gross, not net, we can have that conversation later. But even let's say you put about $500 into the offering pot, you know, every month. And so let's say somebody, we're passing the pot and somebody puts in a, a you know, $500 check, $500 bill. There's not such thing. Five $100 bills, maybe. And all of a sudden right next to that person, this child takes out this cardboard box. And from the box... Um, that's kind of like falling apart, just like dumps in a bunch of change. And somebody asks the kid, you know, hey, uh, where'd all this, what's all that change? Where'd you get all that? Is that your allowance? Now, I don't know if your kids are like our kids. We don't do allowances. And so they scrounge. So they go under couch cushions, you know? And they go under, one time my kid at the YMCA here in town had his arm under the um, vending machine like looking for change. And I was like, what are you doing? Just trying to get some change, man. Don't worry about it. And all of a sudden, my kids will have coins, you know, that you're like, where did you get this? I didn't give it to you. They're like, found it, got it. <laughs> Keeping it, building up. Don't worry about it, none of your business. <clears throat> Sometimes, you know, we'll have dollar bills or things. We don't have, we'll often have a lot of cash, and hopefully it's not credit cards, but on the table or the counter, often they'll disappear. And you're like, hey, where'd the $10 bill go? And everybody's like, don't know. But all of a sudden it appears in their penny box, right? But imagine if a child was doing that, right? Collecting all year, 
collecting change, the digging, the scrounging, anywhere they could get it. And that child looked back to the person and said, where'd you get all this change? And said, that is everything that I've built up this year. And because of who God is and what he's done for me, I knew I needed to give it back to him. And what Jesus would say is that kid gets it. That kid gets it. And what I think a normal response to that would be, well, but that doesn't do anything for the church budget. (laughs) We've got bills to pay, man. Right? Ask JR. Right? There are bills to pay. There's budget that needs to be set. There are things that need to be done. Right? We paid off the the building, but, but there's more work to be done. There's still stuff going on. This doesn't actually help the budget. And I think what Jesus would respond to that is to say, I got money. I don't know if y'all know, but I got money. Cattle on a thousand hills. All of it's mine. I'm okay with the money. I need that. I need that hard attitude. I need the one that gets that. And that's what he's saying about the widow. What Jesus is saying to these people and to the scribe, and what Micah is saying to these people, is the people that get the love of God, that understand the love of God, that understand and have experienced the love of God, the people that get it do this and look like this. They do justice, and they love love in their lives, and they walk humbly with their God. Those who get it, do it. You can tell me all day about your church attendance and your Bible study attendance and your quiet time schedule. Those who get it, do it. This is the people of God that God is searching for and asking for and calling us to be. Now, it's at this point you might think, are you F's a little legalistic? Right? They're a little works-oriented. Poor RUF Erskine students. They're going to be a bit belabored by all this. This guy's a little oppressive in what he's teaching these people. I was always told that God's really gracious and merciful. As we look back at Micah 6, 8 and conclude, let's remember these things. Jesus was so committed to doing justice that he experienced absolute injustice and had the wrath of God poured out on him to satisfy the justice of God that we may be justified before God. God the Father so loved has said, he so loved his people, he so loved his covenant promise that he didn't just pass through smoking pots, that he actually did give his firstborn his only son. He actually did give his only son. The thing he required no one else to do, God the Father did in order to save people, in order to save us while we were still enemies. Christ died for us. And Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus humbled himself. How far? All the way to a cross. So that we are to humble ourselves before one another. And that we are to humble ourselves before God by bowing our knees and confessing that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. As we live lives of humility and service to one another. And as we live lives of obedience to God. Micah 6 is not telling you to try harder and be better. Micah 6, 6 to 8 is saying the people that understand what Jesus did on the cross in accomplishing justice 
in what God did by sending his son to accomplish and have the fulfillment of his said by sending his son to give up his life, by what Jesus did. If you get that, if you know that, if you've experienced that, then we cannot help but be this kind of people that in the world around us do justice and love love and walk humbly with our God in serving one another. Would you pray with me? Jesus, would you give us by your spirit, would you pour out your spirit on us? We cannot do this on our own. We are sinners who greatly need you. I pray anyone this morning, Father, that does not, has not experienced your love, your great has said, your great covenantal love, the love that you have poured out from for thousands of years, the love that most fully came on the cross of Calvary. I pray anyone here that doesn't know that, that they would experience that. They would experience that by encountering your word and by encountering your people who preach and teach of that love, who share of that love, but who live and embody that love. I pray anyone here who doesn't know about that love would just ask for more. Father, for those of us who know the love, who've experienced the love, who, who've encountered it, who've been changed by it, who can do nothing else except claim it, would you help us to be people who do justice, who love that kind of love in our marriages, as parents, as sons, as daughters, as community members, as employers, as employees. And Father, I do pray that this would be a church, GPC, where Paul says that we would humble ourselves and serve one another, that we would have that mind, that would have that mind of Jesus, humbling ourselves before one another, and that we would do all of this knowing we get nothing for it, but that because we have already been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, who humbled himself all the way to a cross, that he would pay our debt and that we would know the love of God. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.